second verse, same as the first. Ariel and Eric have got a daughter now. And, well, let's just say she inherited her mom's rebellious streak. I guess her mom left it somewhere. Let's just say that if you know how Ariel's story goes, you probably know this one. I'm Mermaid's Andrea. Let's dive in to The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Mermaid Movie Club, a celebration of merfolk in media. I'm Mermaid Zandria, as always. That is, Zandria is my name, and Mermaid is my title. Mermaid is not my first name. To the core emails I keep getting for some reason, Mermaid is not my first name. Get it? Got it? Good. No, I don't know why I keep getting these core emails. I think I looked up like one question. I think I was looking for an answer to like one thing, and now I get core emails out the fins. Like, hey Mermaid, here's what you missed today. I don't care that much, Cora. It's, it's not that deep. Anyway, um, uh, a little bit of housekeeping at the top. Sorry. Uh, if you're noticing that your movie club feed is a bit funky, well, that's because the episode I did about Ariel's media history right before Little Mermaid episode did have a weird little blip in it that I had to fix. So I pulled it before I could edit it, or so I could edit it, and re-upped it promptly. Uh, what had happened was I somehow had the... Um, outro clip at the very top of the show which was really really strange and I think then everything was just weirdly out of order and to be fair I had recorded a lot of stuff out of order that day I was on a weird time crunch and I had a 6 a.m call time the next morning so I had to make sure I got it all done so it would be out and ready to go Tuesday morning so it should be good now I am so sorry thank you so much for your patience um but yeah, just recording that was a bit of an adventure. So my apologies. I will be more vigilant going forward. Thank you guys for your patience. I appreciate it. So anyway, before we begin with this week's movie selection, bit of a primer for the newbies who just swim in here like, what the shell did I just get myself into? Well, first of all, that was a bit condescending. You don't need to be rude. This is the Mermaid Movie Club, as I said, and it's a podcast about mermaid movies. Pretty simple concept, right? But there's more to it. First of all, we talk about merfolk-centric movies. That does not include the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, no matter how much I love Mindy. And I really do love Mindy. Go check out my International Mermaid Day episode from March. The thing is, Mindy is not the main attraction. If it were centered around Mindy, then maybe it would be a different story. But this is a mer-centric podcast. I can't talk at length about SpongeBob. That's probably another podcast for another day. There's mythology. There's history. There's social issues sometimes. Lots of things. And we cover it all. We comment on things, the depths, and the shallalalalalos. Sorry, I don't have the rights for Shallow by Lady Gaga. Uh, from there, my social channels are open, so we can chat further on these topics covered in these movies, and I am still considering opening some kind of forum for us all to gather when I'm not just directing you to my Twitter or something, like a Discord, Reddit, what's the best option? I don't know. Let me know. Um, until then, I can be reached at the links in the show notes. And I've also got the nifty Anchor voice message box. So if you're using Anchor and you want to leave me a voice message, then you may do so. No, I'm not going to stuff it into a Nautilus and use it to see your boyfriend, girlfriend, them friend, what have you. I just want to talk about mermaid movies. That's all I want to do. And I want to talk about them with you guys. I have a lot of fun talking about these with you guys. Um, so and I, I wish we could talk more. Uh, so please get in touch. Because we're having a lot of really good conversations about these movies. This week, that is exactly what we are doing. Same thing we do every second and fourth Tuesday of every month, Pinky. Of course, last episode, we talked about the original Disney's The Little Mermaid from 1989 in the first part of our Ariel series. 
This week, we move further down the line in the direction of The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. This was a direct-to-video sequel to The Little Mermaid, released in released September 19th, 2000. A couple of principal cast members returned to this film in their respective roles, including Jodie Benson as Ariel, Samuel E. Wright as Sebastian, Buddy Hackett as Scuttle, Kenneth Mars as King Triton, and Renee Aubergenois as Chef Louis. It also stars Rob Paulson in the role of Prince Eric, filling in for Christopher Daniel Barnes, and Cam Clark as Flounder in place of Jason Marin. New characters in this movie include Melody, Ariel's daughter, voiced by veteran voice actress Tara Strong, then credited as Tara Cherendoff, and Max Casella and Stephen First provide the voices of the Penguin-Walrus duo Tip and Dash. That is a walrus, right? I always get walruses and sea lions confused. Hold on. There's a new character. Pat Carroll also provides the voice of a new character in this movie, which is weird because she was Ursula in the original movie, and Ursula is very, very dead. Well, yeah, yeah, she was Ursula, and Ursula is still dead. In this movie, Pat Carroll portrays Morgana, her younger sister with a severe inferiority complex. And her sidekick, Undertow, is played by Clancy Brown, who also voices Mr. Krabs on Spongebob. It comes back to Spongebob every time. And trust me, you will hear Mr. Krabs when he, like, screams sometimes. It's really distracting. Also noticeably absent from this movie are, well... A lot of the original crew. Clements and Musker? Nope. This movie is directed by Jim Cameron and Brian Smith. Menken and Ashman? Well, Ashman had already passed away by this point. But Alan Menken isn't in this... He's not part of this either. The musical numbers in this movie are written by Michael and Patty Silvershire. Glenn Keane? Nope. He's not there either. So, this is already a very different team than the one that worked on the 1989 movie. So, it begs the question. Why aren't they part of this? That's a good question. That is a very good question. So what's this even about? <laughs> well, uh, did you see the first one? Well, it's a bit like that, but in reverse. That's where a lot of the criticism of this movie comes from. Apart from it being a cheaply made direct-to-video cash grab, it's often dismissed as a low-budget copy of its predecessor, in which Ariel's daughter, Melody, longs to explore the sea, just as her mother longed for the land. However, she's forbidden to do this after Ursula's sister, Morgana, attempts to kidnap the young princess in an act of revenge. Defying her family, Melody sets off on her own quest to discover her destiny. So, yeah, it's the same thing. But Xandria, if I wanted to watch the original, I'd watch the original. First of all, nobody's forcing you to watch this movie. Let's just let's just put that up at the top. But also, I want you to look at this from a different perspective. It's not exactly the Oscar-worthy stuff that the original was. I'll agree with that. But after we break this movie down, as we always do, I invite you to please hear me out as I play devil's advocate on this 17% Rotten Tomatoes rated direct-to-video disaster piece and why I love it so much. So... <clears throat> Shall we dive in? This is The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. Right off the bat, we've got this really neat parallels to the original movie. I mean, like, this movie's going to be rife with parallels to the original, obviously, but this one's really subtle. In the original, the opening sequence begins with a f begins following a seagull flying through the air over Eric's ship. In this one, you follow a seagull through the air flying over Eric's kingdom. Important to note, this isn't Scuttle. It's just a non-specific seagull, but it's an interesting parallel I never noticed until now. Also, just like the original film, we begin with a musical number. This one is far more theatrical than Fathoms Below, however. 
I believe this is called Down to the Sea, and it begins with Ariel singing to her newborn baby, Princess Melody. It's also the first time we hear Eric or Grimsby sing. Eric gets one whole line. It's a bit upsetting. And to, as anybody who's watched Animaniacs knows, Rob Paulson can carry a tune. Now I really want to hear Eric sing Yakko's World. By the way, New Animaniacs is absolutely brilliant. Please watch it. This song is all about the sort of marriage of land and sea that Melody represents, a child born of sea and shore. Sebastian gets involved as word spreads to the sea dwellers that Ariel's coming. But what this is exactly, I'm not 100% sure about. Is it a birthday party? A christening? Baby shower, even though the baby's already been born? Do people do those? There's another thing I have to infer based on this song. I'm under the impression that the people of Eric's kingdom know that Ariel used to be a mermaid. They're the ones singing about a child born of sea and shore. And they're going to the sea, the people, and the sea creatures are popping up to bear witness to the daughter of Princess Ariel. So they gotta know. I mean, she was kind of exposed in that first film when her paid human trial ran out. But both Eric's and Triton's kingdoms are uniting to see the child. It's all very exciting. It's a big old party. All of Ariel's sisters are even there. Wait until Melody meets her six aunts. Six of them. Triton gives Melody a gift in the form of a golden seashell locket. Look, it's a magical trinket. We found a magical trinket with her name on it. Inside the locket is a sort of hologram of Atlantica with people swimming around King Triton's palace. This is a symbol of Melody's connection to the ocean or something. I'd like to think Triton is a fun grandpa, but we saw the first movie. Come on. He seems to have loosened up a teeny bit, but I have trust issues after I watched him destroy his daughter's grotto. I'm just saying. This happy time doesn't last long. Of course, as we meet our villain. We're not even 10 minutes in yet. Morgana is the sister of Ursula, something Sebastian wastes no time letting us know of. He even says it as soon, like, soon after she appears, Ursula's crazy sister! Wow, Sebastian, we couldn't tell she had any relation to Ursula. Wow, that was so subtle. Morgana and Ursula are incredibly similar characters, though I feel like Morgana leans more into the humor, where Ursula is definitely scarier. Also, Morgana has a severe inferiority complex. More on that later. Morgana has a sidekick named Undertow, a big old shark, with the voice of Mr. Krabs. Morgana's act of revenge against Triton, Ariel, and Eric is to dangle Melody over Undertow's open mouth with one of her tentacles and threaten to make her live bait. This whole rescue is pretty ridiculous, though, as Ariel grabs Eric's sword, please give Ariel a sword, and cuts a rope loose, dropping the mast, knocking Morgana, Melody goes flying almost into Undertow's mouth, Triton zaps Undertow and shrinks him to maybe a sixth of his size for that, I'm bad at math, sorry, and Eric swings in Tarzan style and saves Melody. Fun fact, Christopher Daniel Barnes, Eric's original voice actor, went on to provide the voice of Spider-Man in the 90s Spider-Man cartoons. Boys keep swinging, I guess. Morgana admits defeat. For now. In the meantime, Melody has to be barred from the ocean for her protection, as Morgana is still at large. Ariel and Eric bid Triton goodbye for now, not before Triton puts Sebastian in charge of watching over Melody. Some things never change. So here's what's weird for me. We're supposed to keep Melody from the ocean, right? So why is her babysitter talking crab? Particularly the one that used to babysit her mother. You don't think she made that kind of connection later on? Foreshadowing? Oh, about the locket, too. Triton has to take it back with him, like this whole thing never happened, and drop it back into the sea, dejected, heartbroken. My heart will go on from Titanic play softly in the background. Nothing lasts forever. Oh, well, maybe. 
Twelve years or so later, there's a big old wall around Eric's castle. I wanted to make a hashtag build the wall joke, but it reminded me more of those walls that go up at Disney World when they're building something, like the one they've got up around the former universe of energy in Epcot that they're making into Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. Speaking of which, I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so I can go back to my sweet, sweet, sweet Epcot. Soon, my love. We will be reunited one day. Important to note that this wall isn't meant to keep anyone out of the kingdom, at least I don't think, but to keep Melody in it. Keep her away from the sea. So, no, Eric's not trying to bar Atlantic and refugees from entering. I mean, he did marry one. But there's a simple design flaw here. If you're trying to keep Morgana out, she can climb things. She has tentacles with suction cups. She could probably scale the wall. Does he not know marine biology? Make it make sense, bro. You saw her. We all saw her. You'd need, like, electric wire or something. Because then... She fries, and then you can get some sweet fried calamari, if you're into that. Today is Melody's 12th birthday, and we're pulling out all the stops. You gotta see the cake. Chef Louis, I mean, still French chef, French, chef French stereotype, is making for Melody's big day. It's probably about the height of two Chef Louis. Maybe the Chef Louis is more appropriate? But just about everything is in order for this big shindig. Except for, as Scuttle points out, the guest of honor! Where on earth is Melody? And why is Sebastian back at sea if he's supposed to be watching Melody? Oh, because Melody is at sea. Melody is under the sea. Melody is swimming with dolphins in the sea. Ooh, if Ariel only knew. Foreshadowing? Sebastian is not having this. <sighs> Poor Sebastian. He spends his entire life babysitting teenagers, doesn't he? Even if Melody isn't technically a teenager yet, She's 12. She's almost there. Sebastian points out that Melody is just like her mother. Yeah, it's almost as if this movie isn't a reverse remake of the original, but go off, I guess. In her travels, Melody finds something sparkly and suspiciously shell-shaped. Gee, I wonder what that could be. My heart will go on, play softly in the distance once again. And this is where I would put it if I had the rights to it. So what about Morgana? We haven't seen her in a few minutes. Is she good? Is she drink enough water? It seems like Morgana's been working on a spell that would restore Undertow to his original size, but is still largely unsuccessful. Undertow jibes Ursula could have actually succeeded in this, to which Morgana takes some offense to. And with that, we get exposition. Morgana explains that Ursula was the favored child and seemed to be good at everything. And because of it, their mother belittled Morgana. Basically, Ursula is Marsha Brady and Morgana is Jan. Ursula, Ursula, Ursula! Morgana is petty to the point where she keeps a photo of Ursula in her lair just so she can throw starfish at it ninja style. Little interesting parallel to the Lion King here, where Morgana gets defensive at the mention of Ursula's name. Very similar to Scar's reaction to Zazu mentioning Mufasa under his breath. Just quickly pointing that out. There is another parallel coming out later on, but it's really, really subtle, but, but also not. Morgana sees an image in her clamshell, kind of like Ursula's crystal ball, that Melody found the Titanic locket, I'm going to keep calling it the Titanic locket, that Triton had made for her and subsequently dropped into the ocean. But I thought the old merman dropped it into the ocean at the end. Well, I went down and got it for me. Oh, I shouldn't have. Been on a bit of a Britney kick, sorry. Morgana gets excited because this is exactly what she needed to happen. Melody's going to have questions about that locket. And who will have the answers? She will. That's who. She even drops a line about Melody being a tool for Triton's undoing. Almost verbatim to what Ursula says toward the beginning of the original. Man, the Easter eggs are so obvious here. It's like an Easter egg hunt organized by someone who thinks kids are just really absolutely dumb and hides them in really obvious places. 
Oh, look, it's a bright gold Easter egg with my name on it sitting right there in the middle of the dinner table. Regardless, the odds are ever in Morgana's favor. This is going to be good. For her. Meanwhile, back at sea, Melody has questions. Mostly about her mom and why she's so uptight and why she's got beef with the ocean. She even gives us her own spin on that classic line. I just don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Clearly, they are cut from the same cloth. Melody just insists she just can't resist the call of the sea, even going as far as pretending she has fins when in the water. Wow, what a hashtag relatable moment. Melody is all of us. Anyone who ever wanted to be a mermaid never really related to Ariel. Not exactly. But maybe they do if Melody is an inverted Ariel. I guess there's that. Melody eventually relents and heads back to the castle so she's not tardy for the party. No, I can't afford the rights to that song either. Turns out she's been getting under the wall. Not over it. Slippery little fish, this one. So let's talk about Melody in detail a little bit. I don't get out detail. Much like her mother, Melody is weird. She's a weirdo. She doesn't fit in. And she doesn't want to fit in. Sorry, I had to deal with that. Melody is ridiculed by other kids in the kingdom for being strange and supposedly talking to fish. This actually does bother Melody quite a bit. She'd rather not do this whole party thing because she doesn't want to hang out with the rest of the kingdom because she's sure everyone just thinks she's so weird. We are the weirdos, mister. And she probably has this idea that it's all going to go wrong somehow. Ariel reassures her that she's perfectly fine the way she is, insisting she used to be a real fish out of water. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) It's funny because she's a fish. But just as Melody is about to tell Ariel how she really feels, Eric steps in and interrupts to check on them. Dude, we're having girl talk here. Ariel insists that Melody can talk to her about anything, which I'd like to believe. But I've seen this movie and the one that came before it enough times to know that Ariel might want to eat her words like stuffed crab later on. Melody arrives at the party in a pink gown not unlike Ariel's dinner gown in the original movie, but it doesn't make Melody look like a strawberry shortcake since she's got her dad's black hair. She gets into a dance with this blonde boy, which doesn't last long as Sebastian, who, fun fact, has been trapped in Melody's sash since Ariel stepped in earlier, pinches the boy's finger and sets off a chain of events that involves the return of the fraught Tom and Jerry-esque relationship between chef French stereotype and Sebastian. So yeah, we're doing this again. Can-can and everything. Melody apologizes to, to Sebastian before apologizing to her dance partner. Partner, sorry. She's so weird. She's such a weirdo. You guys, she's talking to a crab. God, these kids are like classic bullies and it's they're not even clever. They're definitely laughing at Melody, not with her. So you can't really blame her for just getting the shell out of Dodge, really. It's kind of unfortunate. These kids are so... It's like that one John Mulaney joke, like teenagers are... About the one about teenagers, like, they're mean, but in an accurate way. <laughs> a distraught Melody cries on her bed, fiddling with the locket she found on her travels earlier that day. Ariel's trying to give her a pep talk, but Melody discovers her name on that locket as she sweeps the sand off of it. And Ariel is pissed. We've seen this, ex- this exchange before. The kid went somewhere she wasn't supposed to, and now the parent is angry. Is it Melody and Ariel, or is it Ariel and Triton? The answer is yes, but in this case, specifically, it's the former. Melody says that Ariel told Melody that Atlantica and merpeople were an old fishtail. So there goes my theory, I guess. But it seems that Ariel had to kind of suppress that part of herself for her daughter's safety. I think I brought up The Luck of the Irish, which came out a year before this movie, after this movie, sorry, 
in another episode, I think blew my mind. I think that was the episode I brought this movie up in. Kyle's mom's a leprechaun, but purposely kept his family's Irish heritage from him to protect him and his family from an evil leprechaun named Seamus McTiernan. So there's a parallel. Not sure why I brought that up, but it is kind of a similar case. Ariel has to hide a huge part of her identity in an effort to keep her own family safe. I say family in general because Morgana seemed to have it out not for just Melody, but also for Ariel and Eric and Triton, all of whom she blamed for her sister Ursula's death. Despite Ariel's pleading, Melody sets off for the ocean to find answers. What is this necklace? Why is her name on it? What does it all mean? Ariel sure won't tell her. Of course, she doesn't see when Ariel finally relents and tells Eric that Melody deserves to know the truth. Too bad Melody is long gone, which they're about to find out from a tearful fraud, Sebastian. Which Ariel seems surprised by for some reason. So I guess she didn't quite know about Triton's arrangement, but that's neither here nor there. Then This necklace might serve as a classic example of a MacGuffin. What's a MacGuffin? The Oxford definition of MacGuffin is an object or device in a movie or book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot. Melody is immediately intrigued by the locket when she finds it, and even more so when she discovers her name on it, especially as it contains images of Atlantica, something she was told was pure fiction. The locket spurs the plot onward as Melody sets off to discover its meaning. A MacGuffin isn't always a material object, of course, but in this case, it absolutely is. And I might actually be wrong about this because while this makes sense to me by definition, I'm sure some movie nerd will slip into mentions like, that's not what a MacGuffin is, you uncultured whale. Bold of you to assume I'd be insulted by being called a whale, but anyway, this is all going super according to plan for Morgana. She sends Undertow and her manta rays, Cloak and Dagger, not to be confused with Marvel Cloak and Dagger, as they lead Melody and her little boat to Morgana's lair. Morgana's set, shop, set up shop right above the water, where Ursula was exclusively underwater. Look at the versatility. She also presents as more hospitable and friendly than Ursula was to Ariel, and I'm not sure if that makes Morgana more or less scary than Ursula. I mean, it is the nice ones, you know. Melody states her case to Morgana, who absolutely does have the answers. I mean, she was there. Melody's name is on it because it has her destiny in it. Simple. Morgana uses the tiniest trace of Ursula's magic she has left to make Melody's wishes come true and finally make her a mermaid. By the way, I quote this on the show many times where she says, bada bing, bada boom, you're in Finn City, whee! Because it's a little too relevant to the movies I've covered so far. Splash, fishtails, aquamarine, list goes on. She makes it look like a spa treatment, though. Pours a single drop of elixir onto Melody's leg and immediately transforms her. See? That's the trick right there. No moon pools, no YouTube spells, nothing like that. See which pedicure does just the trick. Meanwhile, Triton meets up with Ariel and Eric to give his part. She hasn't been spotted by anyone under the sea. Melody hasn't been spotted, I should have been more specific there. And Ariel and Eric have seen no trace of her on land. Eric suggests that Ariel help the underwater search, and Triton restores Ariel to her iconic mermaid form. This gives way to another musical number. Here we go. This is called For a Moment, and it's sung by Melody and Ariel. Melody's half is all about how she loves being a mermaid and finally feels like herself. Ariel's half is about how she regrets not letting Melody know the truth sooner, resulting in Melody's disappearance. There are so many parallels to the original film in this number. The first of them being Melody mimicking walking with her fins, which Ariel kind of did in Part of Your World, where she's like strolling along down the, and she's like moving her hips around. I think they rotoscoped the animation of Ariel flipping from Part of Your World, 
So Melody pulled the same maneuver. By the way, that is hard to do in real life, speaking from experience. For Ariel's part, she revisits the rock she laid on, pulling petals off of flowers, that whole he loves me, he loves me not thing, right before under the sea. But this is the part that gets me right here. I'm going to show you right here. She returns to her grotto. You know, the grotto that Triton destroyed. And it looks exactly like it did in part of your world. It is untouched. But the statue's no longer there. So, huge continuity error there. Why is her grotto all cleaned up? Many mysteries indeed. It's almost as if the thought wasn't really put into this movie in an effort to make as much money on the franchise as possible. Hmm. Makes you wonder. Melody goes back to Morgana in utter glee to thank her for making her dreams come true, only for Morgana to drop a clamshell on her and tell her that the spell isn't permanent. But there's only one way to make it so, and it involves robbery. Sorry, I mean, um, um, she has to get the thing back. She has to get the thing back. It's totally not robbery. If it's reverse robbery, it's still robbery. Morgana needs her, quote-unquote, trident back, from the deranged kleptomaniac that stole it in the first place. That'd be King Triton. Melody needs to make her way back to make her way to Atlantica to get it back so she can be a mermaid forever. Uh, who's gonna tell her? Anyone? Too soon? Probably too soon. Melody runs into Tip and Dash, a penguin and walrus duo of self-made superheroes. Sorry. Adventurers slash explorers. They try to do well, but ultimately bumble their way through a penguin rescue after a shark throws them off their groove. They have a bit of a Timon and Pumbaa vibe, which makes sense, as Max Casella, the voice of Tip, also originated the role of Timon on Broadway. He also voiced Jack and Jack and Daxter for the PS2, which I played all the time as a kid, so he sounded very familiar, and once I figured out who he was, it all made sense. Melody joins forces with these pals who can help find her way to Atlantica. Maybe they might be useful after all. This gives way to yet another musical number, aptly titled tip and dash this is a really heroic like indiana jones feel to it appropriately enough even if these two are absolute bumblers but it's funny because melody was trying to egg them on before as they were like bickering with each other like a minute ago saying like hey i don't have much time please help me find atlantica but she has no problem joining in on this musical number with him with them ultimately wasting time add that to the list of things not thought through in this movie meanwhile ariel eric Sorry, Ariel Triton and Sebastian continue their search and in the process meet an old friend. No, it's not one of the racist caricatures from Under the Sea. Duh. It's Flounder. An older, bigger, fatter Flounder. Note, Flounder doesn't actually look like a Flounder and that has bothered me for my entire life. Turns out Ariel isn't the only new parent in this movie. Flounder's got a family of his own. In fact, Flounder's made the pivot from scaredy guppy to exasperated dad who sounds like he has a cold all the time. Flounder joins the search for Melody under the sea, which is kind of out of character for old Flounder, but also not, but also totally is. I mean, like, old movie Flounder. Not older Flounder, because, you know what, this is getting weird. Let's just go ahead and move on, because I've, I've gone on about Flounder. Melody, Tip, and Dash arrive in Atlantica, quickly meeting some new sort of mer friends, including the one Asian merman I've ever seen in any mermaid movie ever, but come on, do you have to give him a bowl cut? They arrive at Triton's chamber where he seems to have very quickly arrived on his own. Remember? Just a minute ago, he was with Ariel and Flounder and Sebastian, and now he's back at his palace all of a sudden. I guess they weren't too far off, and I guess they're fast swimmers. But the question now is, where's the rest of the search party all of a sudden? Tip remarks that Melody and her gang are risking their lives for a fork. 
First of all, there are no forks in the Little Mermaid, up, Little Mermaid universe. They're called Dinglehoppers. You should have watched the first movie, you flightless bird brain. Triton gets distracted, giving Melody the perfect opportunity to snatch the trident and be on her way. But she loses that necklace that she's obsessed with, which I guess may as well just happen. Teen Triton arrives at the castle to discover that the trident is missing. Dun dun dun. But here's an interesting bit of lore that I don't remember if it's ever touched on at any point before this. Maybe it's in the animated series. Somebody let me know. Only Triton or a member of his family can remove the trident from its post. So that includes Triton himself, Ariel, any of her six sisters, and Melody. But it couldn't be Melody, could it? Well, Melody did a terrible job of covering her tracks because they spot her necklace on the ground, which forces Triton to draw one single conclusion. Morgana. I think Ariel is still mentally at point B, while Triton has already jumped way ahead to point Z. It sounds like Triton, interestingly enough, has it figured out already. He's come to the conclusion that Morgana has sent Melody to get the Triton for her, seeing as only Melody could hold it. I mean, you couldn't get one of the sisters? Come on, Arista is still waiting for her moment all this time later. And perhaps Triton already has the thought that she might be a mermaid now, too. How else would she have got to the castle? Although, we've seen that she is one shell of a freediver. So who knows? Meanwhile, Ariel is still putting two and two together. On one hand, it's like Ariel's supposed to be the smart one here. But honestly, she's grown enough to not jump to conclusions anymore. That's how I see it, at least. Either that, or this is just some poor, predictable writing. Probably the latter. Cloak and Dagger inadvertently lead Ariel and Flounder to Morgana's icy lair. Yeah, this is all just geographically confusing at this point. Where she finally finds her daughter, presenting her enemy Morgana with her father's, father's trident. The betrayal! The intrigue! Melody really grapples with this discovering that her mother is a mermaid. This idea that her mother has kept this super important thing from her for so long. I already touched on it, but here we are again. Morgana's even doubling down here, really hammering it home that Ariel is a terrible mother for denying Melody the ocean when it's been a part of her for her entire life. Which, yeah, isn't really nice. It was for Melody's protection, but it's easy to understand at this point why Melody feels so betrayed. Melody passes the trident off to Morgana, which is Morgana's cue to reveal her true colors and let Melody know that she is a traitor to her family. That's something else she she this woman just she doesn't stop she's like she takes the trident and she's like so your mother was trying to protect you from me the whole time she loves you and melody's like wait what okay the, the, everything's happening at once right now and now i'm just very confused I mean, a, a little bit shocked, a little bit confused, a little bit betrayed, a little bit of everything right now. I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. And Ariel's just like, oh, Melody, this could have all been avoided. She throws Melody, Morgana throws Melody and Flounder, who for some reason is back in his 1989 model, in a cave and seals it up with ice. Just after letting Melody know that her mermaid time is just about up. So I'm pretty sure Morgana just wants to kill Melody. That sounds really dark, I know, and maybe even too dark for this direct-to-video sequel. Remember at the beginning of the movie when Morgana almost fed baby Melody to supersized undertow? She could have had Melody killed then. Now she's going to kill Melody by drowning, eventually. The motivation could be avenging Ursula's death, but Morgana also hates Ursula because she is that petty fish and just wants to succeed where Ursula failed. Weird flex, but okay. So... Morgana's now on, fully on her Ursula thing, rising up above the ocean, strangling Ariel with a single tentacle. 
this scene is a lot of things happening at once and it's almost dizzying how quickly everything goes by so to recap eric comes in his boat is wrecked by an iceberg titanic taught her undertow is big again melody is human again and on the edge of drowning flounder tries to no avail to break the ice melody essentially drowns but not really morgana dares declares herself queen of the ocean and builds herself an ice castle and we thought elsa was so original morgana makes all mer people bow down to her like quite forcibly including ariel and triton melody human again climbs all these icy spikes to get to morgana and take the trident from her throws it back to triton triton freezes her and melody makes a safe and secure landing on top of a very soft dash no more Morgana, no more Ursula. So maybe we're done with this crazy family once and for all. I'm sorry, I was trying to channel like like a sportscaster there or something, but you can tell I only watch tennis. Now, there's the matter of reconciliation. There's regret from all sides here. Ariel and Eric apologize for keeping the truth from Melody for so long. Melody apologizes for being a traitor. I mean, Melody apologizes for her actions, stating that she thought she'd be a better mermaid than a girl. But it's okay. Her family loves her for who she is. Just be yourself. Yeah. I mean, you wanted to be a mermaid the whole time, and you were like half mermaid the whole time, but you couldn't be a mermaid because reasons. And you know what? Let's just cut to the chase. Triton offers Melody a choice. Live in Atlantica with Triton and the people, or stay on land with her parents. Melody's like, why can't we have both? That can only mean one thing. The next scene. Princess Melody, tear down this wall. To celebrate, we have one more musical number called Here on the Land and Sea, almost like a reprise of Down to the Sea from the beginning. The walls come down, and the people return to the surface to greet the humans on land, vice versa. Melody and Ariel are finally on the same page, and we even run into one of Melody's sort of merman friends from earlier. Everything's happy as can be, and we even have a ceremonial rainbow over the kingdom one last time. And that, mer friends, is The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. Stay tuned while I explain why this movie deserves more credit than you're probably giving it. Or at least why I give it more credit than it probably deserves. This is a movie that gets a lot of flack. I've said it a billion times before, and a lot of it, honestly, is deserved. It's a hack job of a film. The animation, uh, animation quality isn't great, at least when you match it up with the original, but that's not really a fair comparison now, is it? It takes so much from the original movie that it's practically a remake. There are all these little nods to the original, such as the return to the grotto, which was somehow untouched, the flipping move, the rainbow at the end, the Sebastian Chef Louis Can-Can chase scene, right down to Morgana saying she had bigger fish to fry. It's lazy. It's cheap. It is absolutely Disney finding new ways to get as much money out of an old franchise as it possibly can. Those are valid reasons to criticize this film. It's definitely not the first DTV sequel, but it is part of a long line of poor, unfortunate direct-to-video sequels and prequels and midquels produced by Disney from about 1994 with the Aladdin sequel Return of Jafar to 2008's Little Mermaid prequel Ariel's Beginning. In fact, it was 2008 where John Lasseter, who at that point was chief creative officer of Walt Disney Animation, said, Hey, Bob, you ever stop to think that maybe we shouldn't be dropping like 15 movies a year? Kind of cheapens the brand a bit, don't you think? To which CEO Bob Iger said, You know what, Johnny? You got a point. Of course, that didn't stop Iger from dropping 14 films under its Walt Disney Pictures, Disney Nature, Disney Pixar, Marvel Studios, and Lucasfilm banners in 2019. That was the same year 20th Century Fox came under Disney ownership, so I didn't count that because I don't know whether to count all the Fox stuff or just the stuff that came out after the Disney acquisition. Either way, Iger did not learn from this lesson 
because I guess it worked this time. A lot of those 2019 films, including Toy Story 4, Captain Marvel, Frozen 2, The Lion King, Adventures End- Avengers Endgame, and even Spider-Man Far From Home, a co-production with Sony Pictures, grossed over a billion dollars at the box office. Of course, I couldn't find any financial data for The Little Mermaid 2, how much it's made to date or how many copies it's sold to date, but assume, based on its legacy, that it's not exactly Frozen 2. See, back in my day, sequels went straight to video, but Frozen goes to theaters, because of course it does. I know it sounds like I'm constantly salty over Frozen. I'm not, really, I promise. I really actually love Frozen, but I do think a lot of the hype is too much. And I, I think I've, I think it's personal with me, Elsa. But going back to Little Mermaid 2, it's not perfect. But there is a lot to take from it. A lot of it is based on pulling from the movie we already know and love, but there is still a bit of digging to do. Let's start with the obvious. It's a reversal of that original movie, where Ariel wanted to be human and chase the man she loved, Melody wanted to be a mermaid and feel like she belonged somewhere. Ariel wanted to be a human. Melody wanted to be a mermaid. Let's get into that real quick. I feel like if you ask anybody who's ever wanted to be a mermaid, who, what, or who inspired them in that idea, and I feel like a lot of the time, Ariel is the answer to that question. A lot of people want to be mermaids because of Ariel. Little Mermaid in general, I guess, as Daryl Hannah in Splash was inspired by a pre-Ariel Little Mermaid story prior to being cast in Splash, so much that she swam with her legs together as a child that ultimately prepared her for doing Splash. But now that Ariel and the Little Mermaid are so synonymous with each other, almost to the point where she is almost the default, it's easy to just kind of conflate the two. But the kicker is this. You get from the original Little Mermaid movie that Ariel wanted to be human. She didn't explicitly say that she didn't want to be a mermaid, but it was definitely implied. In this movie, it's something of a badge she wears with pride, but, like, low-key. For reasons. Then there's Melody. Melody is out here. All hashtag mermaid vibes. All hashtag mermaid hair don't care. She's spelling it out for you. I want to be a mermaid. She's not even dropping hints. She says it outright. What's the point I'm trying to make here? Anyone who's ever wanted to be a mermaid is Melody. There it is. You are all Melody. We are all Melody. And how did you treat this girl? Like a cheap knockoff of her more popular mother. Look, I'm not saying I expect as many people to be familiar with Melody as they are with Ariel and to say, I want to be a mermaid because of Melody from the direct-to-video sequel, Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. But what I am saying is that she is that mirror image that you are looking for in that regard. Also, like I said, she has a lot of Ariel's character traits, so she's basically the same character, except she actually wants to be a mermaid and her mother didn't. So, point one, make it make sense. And point two, stand Melody. Or at least put some respect on her name. When you look at The Little Mermaid 2 from the perspective of a girl trying to find out who she is and discover more about herself, despite the odds, it bears a bit more meaning. We have Melody, who knows she's meant for something more. She can feel it in her jellies. Especially when a locket holding an image of Atlantica has her name on it. Sea-loving Melody, who pretends to be a mermaid, has some kind of connection to the sea that she loves. That's gotta mean something. Melody, like her mother, doesn't quite fit in. She's a fish out of water. Literally, I guess, but also figuratively. She talks to fish because I guess she can just do that. That's weird. But people talk to their pets all the time, so pick your battles. Something about her is just off. She knows she's meant for something more. She goes off to find it, and does, maybe not the way she intended. I think this film spoke to me as a kid because where Ariel had romantic motivation, Melody was just all about finding herself and her place in the world. She clearly didn't belong where she was. In fact, the first time I watched this movie was when I was 12, same age Melody is in this movie. Yeah, I was late to it. It was on Toon Disney one day, so I was like, hey, let's do this. I was 
hooked. I saw something in Melody. I would swim around my pool in my crappy mermaid princess swim set, singing for a moment, because Melody and I were the same in that way. I was 12. All I wanted was to be a mermaid and not have to put up with middle school. That didn't quite pan out. But hey, now I've got a high school diploma and an AA degree. But I didn't expect this movie to stick with me the way it has. Melody's desire and drive to find her place, even now, resonates with me in a big way. I still kind of feel like an outsider in a lot of spaces. I got into this whole mermaid thing around 2018 or so. Like the whole tales and monofins and personas thing. I've always been into mermaids, but never got into the community until just a few years ago. And I don't exactly feel out of place in it. Not quite. Yeah, like... I, I feel diff- I do feel kind of different in the way that like I prioritize a podcast over like doing visual like Instagram content, videos, photos, what have you, um, which I do still want to do. But that's just how I feel comfortable doing it right now. But that's the other thing about it is that like there's no real wrong way to do what we do. Like you can be in this sphere, this mermaid sphere and not you don't really have to be all in like the monofins and the tails and stuff. We create things in different ways and I choose to do it through a podcast and that's just how I've done it and I feel, what, what, what am I trying to say here? I'm clearly going off script. Um, so I, 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 like, like there's a purpose. Yeah, I think there, that's the best way to put it and that's really kind of given me some sense of like belonging and because of that, I just feel so much better and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I guess if something stays with you that long, there's a reason for it. My mom thought I'd grow out of this whole mermaid thing eventually and grow up and get a real job. But here I am. I just turned 30 on the 21st. Yeah, I said it. And I'm still very much in it. That never left me. What it did do was lead me into a community of like-minded folk and to some wonderful friends I get to talk to online all the time. It's a wonderful thing, really. But I'm still trying to figure out what my mom means by a real job because apparently six years in a retail support position with variable hours is not a real job. But of course, neither here nor there. So The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea is a very, very flawed, inconsistent, poorly thought out movie. Sure, it lacks the wonder and creativity of the original movie. Yes, it smells strongly of cheap cash grabs. And I'm pretty sure it's far from being anyone's favorite. But for one little guppy, it meant the world. It's me. I'm one little guppy. So that is it for The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. We did it, you guys. It's done. I was really looking forward to this one because I had quite a bit to say about it, as it is actually super special to me. And I'm glad I was able to get all this off my chest. So... Thank you for that. So obviously, Ariel Month is kind of ended, kind of not. We still have one more movie to cover. And we will be covering that on Tuesday, December 8th. That episode will be all about The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning. As with these past two movies, this is available on Disney+, Plus as well as The Usual Suspects, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Vudu, and YouTube for a fee. No, not your voice or a stolen trident. Probably a couple sand dollars. Also, check your local library. Libraries are national treasures and honest Neptune treasure troves. Let's support them. You, honestly, like you never know what you're gonna f- <clears throat> what you're gonna find at those libraries. Like you might find like really old, obscure stuff. And honestly, I need to go back and check mine as well. Um, 
I would definitely recommend that. I would recommend, you know, if like thrift stores even, or you might even have it. Honestly, I'm just under the impression that like people who like are actively listen to my show, they probably own these movies in some capacity. So you probably already have it. I'm just guessing. I know that's a kind of an unfair uh, assumption to make. Don't assume people tell me, but here I am assuming. So if you have it, watch it that way. Disney Plus, watch it that way. Whatever way you got it, let's watch it. And we'll talk about it on Tuesday, December 8th. Is that what I said? December 8th? Yes, it is. Okay, I was just making sure. Um, also, if you're in the United States, I wish you a very happy, very safe, very peaceful Thanksgiving. However you're choosing to celebrate it this year. I hope it's not stressful for you and you can enjoy it however and with whoever you can. Until then, that's going to be it for this week's episode. Thanks again for swimming by and post-episode Xandria. Let's take them home. Thanks for tuning in to the Mermaid Movie Club for this discussion of The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. Be sure to tune in on December 8th for an episode all about The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning. For more Mermaid Movie Club updates, visit the homepage at mermaidmovieclub.tumblr.com and follow me on social media. All my profiles are in the show notes. We've got new episodes every second and fourth Tuesday of each month, so be sure to subscribe on the app of your choice, tell all your mer friends about the show, and please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can leave me a voice message on the Anchor app. Until then, this has been Mermaid's Andrea. Have a mermazing day and a fantastic tomorrow. Melody would have probably been that girl to look up mermaid tales on YouTube. Am I wrong? <laughs>